You're listening to the Slavic Connection. Trust me. 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 Saw in Sri Lanka to try to just a few days ago, where you try to block access to all these social media websites. You can also think of much more sort of much more sophisticated and complex targeted operations, where you try to block access to particular types of content, which in this age of artificial intelligence becomes increasingly uh, something that's increasingly attractive. Um, for those of you who have not read it and who are interested in this, I would look at the incredible seminal work by uh, Gary King, Jen Pan, and Molly Roberts that they have done in their 2013 and 2000, their APSR and science pieces about how the Chinese government has gone about this process of sort of targeted removing of access to information. But there's a third option, which is in some ways harkens back to some old kind of Soviet traditions, but in many ways is sort of a new, the sort of new digital way you can try to deal with online opposition, which is instead of trying to resist, restrict people's access to this content or dealing with these actors offline, you can actually try to shape the online conversation. And we call this online engagement. So this could involve things that are, you know, that were actually the sort of promise of e-government when the internet first arrived, that you would have state actors interacting with their constituents in unmediated situations online. It would be would dehumanize the sort of members of the state elite. It would bring them closer to the population. So things that we wouldn't consider nefarious at all. Ranging, ranging down a range of things that we would begin to consider more nefarious. So we could have identified state actors going online trying to shape the conversation, which you know we see in many democracies around the world. You could also have coordinated and identified non-state actors. So you could have people who are working with the government to push the government's message, but they're identified. There's nothing nefarious about it. They're known to be supporters of the political party and these sorts of things. But then you can also have these kind of false identity state actors where you can have state actors who are not who they pretend to be. And this can be machines pretending to be human beings. This can be uh, government employees pretending to be ordinary citizens. Again, I point you to the work of King, Pan, and Roberts, where show in China, in China that a lot of what happens when they try to shape the online conversation, contrary to what everybody thought, is not state actors going on and, uh, and, and arguing with people who say disparaging things about the government, but actually actors who engage in what's known as like happy talk. They get online and they say, wow, I'm so glad to be Chinese today. So that when you go online and you want to go complain about air, you know, air pollution, instead of just finding lots of complaints complaining about about air pollution, you find lots of people talking about how happy they are to be Chinese and how nice the weather is and all that. And that turned out like the government was putting a huge expenditure into getting that sort of message out there. But you can also have supportive attackers and issues and attack actors and issues. And within this world, you, we have seen the development of a number of sort of you know, new actors or at least new terms for old actors. And I just want to very briefly introduce you to these because this will serve as an introduction to Denise's talk and to my talk as well here, which is to talk about sort of three different types of actors. One of the type of actor that we see engaged in this kind of false identity state actor or can be false identity state actors um, are what's known as bots. And how we define bots, which is basically how most people define bots, online accounts that are controlled by automated algorithms. So if I have a Twitter account and I sit down and I write at something on the Twitter account, what is appearing on it is because I, as a human being, am typing something. A bot account, there's some algorithm that tells it what to do. Every time Joshua Tucker tweets, 
you tweet back, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, right? <laughs> and that's the algorithm, and that declares what it does. Or every time the New York Times publishes a headline, you retweet that headline and say, check out this source, you know, that kind of thing. So that's what we mean by bots. Trolls are a different beast. And the term troll means a bunch of different things in the internet world. So I, what I want to explain now is how we're going to use it here. We're going to use trolls in the context of politics as these false state identity actors, or they don't even have to be the state, they could be coordinated by states, but these are human beings who are most of the time misrepresenting who they are and acting to carry out a political agenda. Often they're, they're misrepresenting who they are by being anonymous, but as you'll see in the case of the Russian IRA trolls, they actually misrepresented who they are by pretending to be Americans even though they were Russian actors. Um, and this is what our understanding to date of the effort by the internet research agency in Russia was to try to manipulate the information context of the 2016 US environment. So the data that I'm gonna show you right now is data um, that was released, I'll tell you about it in a second, but it's data about a collection of IRA trolls. And these are these people who were working in St. Petersburg largely, we think, to produce content that was shared on Twitter, on Reddit, and other places, Facebook, various social media sites. Um, during the 2016 election. And just to be very clear, so when I keep saying IRA <coughs> trolls, this is who I'm referring to. I'm referring to trolls, so they're human beings, not automated algorithms, um, who were sitting down and producing content, but as part of a Russian state-sponsored strategy in the context of the 2016 election by pretending to be actors that they were not. Um, and we also, in this field, we use the term cyborgs to refer to mixtures of trolls and bots so accounts that are partially controlled by humans typing things and partially controlled by automated algorithms. I mention this only for the fact that the data I'm gonna show you, which I'm gonna say is all is the IRA trolls, undoubtedly some of that was probably automated content. So some of those would probably be better described as cyborgs, but I'm not gonna go say trolls or cyborgs, I'm just gonna say trolls. All right, so what's the data that we have? What am I gonna show you right now? What I'm gonna show you is the results of our analysis of the activity of a bunch of IRA troll Twitter accounts that were released by Twitter to the US Congress and put into the public record. When Twitter was called to testify by the US Congress, they brought along in the evidence a list of 2,700 accounts that were, they claimed, were Russian IRA trolls, that they had reason to think they were Russian IRA trolls. Later on, about four months later, Twitter released the entire data set of all the tweets produced by those trolls. That was crucial because at the time that Twitter announced these were IRA troll accounts, they had deactivated their accounts and they had purged them from the Twitter platform, which meant that we as scholars could not then go and get the data that had been produced by those trolls. However, Twitter then released all of this data itself a few months later. And we're gonna to wanna to give a huge kudos to Twitter for doing this. They did not have to do this and they chose to do it. However, we wanna have a huge caveat which is that everything I show you from here on in is a giant black box as to how it was claimed to be a Russian IRA troll account. So everything I'm showing you right now is I'm trusting Twitter that they know that these were Russian IRA troll accounts. I'm happy to talk way more during Q&A about all the challenges in this field of working with data that's, having an that's potentially having an enormous impact on society that's controlled by giant multinational corporations and they decide what kind of access people in the public domain get to it. But that's the world we're in for this study I'm gonna show you. Great that Twitter released this data, black box, I don't know how they got the names of these accounts. But 
from lots of careful observation of this account, it seems like they did a good job of it. What we don't know is if Twitter released all of the data. We don't know if there were other trolls they identified that they didn't release. We don't know if they missed trolls. We have some suspicions, which I could talk much more about, but not in the context of this talk. All right. So what have other, so a bunch of teams, our team at the SMAP lab, and then some other teams at other labs around the world have dug into this data. What are some of the things that were known about this data already? Well, most of the other research that's been done on this has focused on the text of the, the text of the tweets that were produced by, this, by these troll accounts, their bios and the networks, how they were related to each other. And one of the sort of big findings that's come about so far is that there is evidence of sort of left-wing trolls and right-wing trolls. So left-wing trolls that were designed to appeal and integrate themselves into more left-leaning political communities in the United States, and right-wing trolls that were designed to integrate themselves and appeal to more right-wing communities. I want to be a huge caveat on this. It does That does not mean the trolls were helping Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. One of the things the left-wing trolls were doing was telling people not to vote because there was no difference between Clinton and Trump and that they should just vote for Jill Stein or telling them to stay home or telling them the Democrats voted on Wednesdays and Republicans voted on Tuesdays and things like that. So this does not mean they were helping both, but it does mean they were doing this. All right, so what did we do in the SMAP lab? We, wanted, we did something different. What we did was we looked at the links that, that were shared by these IRA trolls to other websites. Um, and what that means is, and then we did sort of two different studies. In the first study that I'm going to show you, we took the list from Congress when they released this list to Congress, and we went into our own data set where we had collected tons and tons of tweets about the election. And we found every tweet in our data set that had been produced by one of these IRA trolls. So our first data set was the first study is based on a political data set. The second study I'm going to show you involves all the English language trolls from the Twitter data set that was released by Twitter over the course of time before the 2016 election. So what do I mean we looked at links? One of the, what we did to look at the links is we built a new tool that's open, it's an open source tool that is available to anyone to use in Python called URL Expander, which allowed us to go from link shorteners. For those of you who are online, a lot of times when links show up, they don't say newyorktimes.com slash, you know, the name of it. They say bit.ly and then some little set of code around it. We built this thing called URL link extractor, which allowed us basically to extract the URLs from the tweets. Then we were able to go from these bit.ly links to expand, we then were able to expand these shortened URLs to the full URL, which then allowed us to see this top level domain, like, oh, they were sharing a link to NPR, and then we could extract that domain. So what, everything I'm gonna show you from here on in is gonna be based on this aggregation of these domains that were shared by these IRA trolls. So we know what, we know what data they were sharing. All right, so the first study we did was about the types of news sources they were sharing. They were sharing. And what I'm going to show you very quickly is some findings we had about the extent to which they shared junk news sources, national news sources, and local news sources. The junk title was not anything that we came up with in the lab. What we were doing in this case is we're relying on a website called opensources.co, which is a bunch of scholars have put together that includes various fake news websites, but hyper-partisan websites. And I will caveat that it does include sites like Breitbart and Infowars. We were not getting in the business of coding this ourselves, but this is, this is essentially in contrast to sort of mainstream news sources. People can have different opinions about whether Breitbart belongs in here or not. You would get different results if you took them out. But this is the category we use for this particular study. In other work we do, we tend to exclude Breitbart from it. But this is what we had for the study. We're also going to look at national news sources and local news sources. All right, what did we learn about them? So the interesting thing about the IRA trolls is they shared 
Whoa, and then the one other thing I want to tell you that we did here is we created comparison groups. Because to look at what the IRA trolls were sharing in the abstract doesn't tell you anything. It's hard to get a sense of like what they're doing, although some of it's interesting. But what we did is we compared them to samples of users that we had in our data sets. We had random samples of users we've been following on Twitter. And so we compare them to a random set of American users, and we also compare them to a random set of politically interested users. So what we found is that trolls did share one and a half times as much junk news as our politically interested users did. But that's still only 6% of the links they shared. Our, our random set of US politically interested users, about 4% of what they share fell into this junk news category. And what you see in this junk news is that for you know, a long time, this is, junk news is at a lower level, but it spikes before the election. Now, the number of links that the trails shared in general spike right before the election. Um, but the number that they shared of these junk news sites also spikes right before the election. So it's possible that this was a sort of concerted strategy, that they were not sharing too much of this junk news early on and saving it up to share, to share right before the election. There's also a possibility that this is actually, a, that this actually what this represents is a coding error by Twitter and that there were Venezuelan trolls that appeared on the scene right before the election that shared a ton of this junk news. This is still something that's being sorted out at this point. So I wanna say this with a caveat. But this is one thing we do see is that from the accounts that we have, there is this spike right before the election. <laughs> However, what was super interesting was that trolls shared 15 times as much local news as our politically interested group, and 90 times as much local news as our random sample. Indeed, 30% of all the links that we saw shared by these trolls were shared by, were actually sharing local news. Um, and we know that Americans trust local news sources more than they trust national news sources. So if you see here, when we look at junk news, and here's the spike before the election, we look at national news and we look at local news, there's a ton of sharing of local news, uh, both before and after the election. Interestingly enough, most of that local news was shared by just 27 of these IRA Twitter accounts that were sharing tons of local news, and were they themselves pretending to be local media sources, sharing news from other local news sources. We immediately thought, ah, swing states. This must be happening in the swing states. No, it has no relationship to the swing states. We don't quite know what they were doing here. The best sort of explanation, which is just totally rumor, is that this was a setup for in case the election was close and Trump contested the validity of the election, that you were gonna have these 27 accounts that had built up these local followings as being sort of local dependable news sources that would then be used to harness support for Trump's claim that the election results were invalid. But that's just a rumor, I have no idea if that was the case. But we did find that there was this clearly is this, there these 27 accounts that produced a ton of this local news link. Um, all right, we also find, I'm running short on time, there's different patterns of shared national news. Our, our, our politically interested users, our random users, they share the top ones they would share would be like CNN, New York Times, Huffington Post, Washington Post. For the, the IRA trolls, it's the hill.com and Washington Post, and you know, CNN is much lower. I'm not sure what that means. Um, all right, so that's the first study. Second study, really quick, because I'm definitely running short on time now. The second thing we tried to do was test this question about the ideology. We wanted to dig deeper into this fact. We knew there were these trolls trying to integrate themselves into left-wing communities and right-wing communities, but were they really playing both sides in the information that they were sharing? Um, and so we did two things here. One is we looked at every single link they shared to a media site, and we 
came up with a way in our lab to, to, talk, to come up with a way at scale, a replicable, automated way to code the ideology of these different news sites and be able to split them into left, center, and moderate. The second thing we did is we started to, we looked at the links they shared to YouTube. Now, for those of you not familiar with YouTube, YouTube is a video sharing service. It's probably the most popular social media platform there is to date at this point. Um, and we are working on methods in our lab to have scalable ways to code YouTube videos by ideology. It's a very tricky problem. We're making a lot of progress on it. We're working on it now. But for now, the results I'm going to show you are based on human coding. So we brought in undergraduates. We had them code by hand a subsection of these YouTube videos, the most popular ones to look at. Um, and this, uh, OK, so what did we find? What's the big picture thing we found? When we look at news media URLs, there is definitely the fact that they are sharing, these trolls are sharing <coughs> links to liberal sources, to conservative sources, and to moderate sources. It's definitely more to conservative than it is to liberal, but it is kind of spread across the game. Now, again, liberal doesn't mean they're necessarily helping. It can be a Washington Post story about Hillary's emails, right? But they are doing this. However, when we looked at the YouTube channels, we found a very different pattern. The vast majority of the YouTube channels that they were sharing links to by these trolls were fairly conservative. We can also track this over time and look at what's happening over time in terms of the number of links being shared to these liberal, conservative, and moderate sites. And one thing that I would call your attention to is that in the lead up to the campaign through most of 2016, these trolls were sharing a lot. The, the modal thing they were sharing was moderate links. And they weren't sharing that many to conservative sites. But as you see the approach to the election, the amount of links they're sharing to conservative sites does go up significantly. And the proportion of links they're sharing to the moderate sites goes down. The other thing we, would show, we can show you is that when we look at the links shared by our kind of random U.S. population or our political U.S. population, they're very consistent, right? The amount of liberals, moderates, and then less to conservatives. The trolls, on the other hand, are much more all over the place, which maybe suggests different strategies, people being suggesting things. But, you know, it's a very different looking pattern than especially compared to a, a normal politically interested. This may also be a potential diagnostic tool you could use to find them. The other thing we found is that when we looked at the level of the individual troll, over time, our conservative individual trolls became more conservative. Our liberal individual trolls became a little more liberal, but the conservative ones increasingly were sending, were sending out more conservative messages, uh, sending more proportion to conservative sites. The final thing that we can do with this is we can look at the level of the individual troll and look at what they were sharing in terms of links to YouTube sites and to and links to uh, and links to uh, and links sorry and links to YouTube and links to news media and a couple of things here you do find you know these sort of there is a bunch of trolls that are sending far right YouTube channels and far and farther right news sources but you don't see the commensurate thing on the left also there is this interesting pattern here of there's a bunch of these trolls here that are sending out links to liberal webs more liberal websites, but then the YouTube links they're sending are to fairly conservative YouTube sites. So we were wondering if this is kind of a luring people strategy. Oh, this account shares stuff to the Washington Post to CNN. Let me check out the YouTube link, and then it ends up being quite right wing. And we don't see this in the reverse. So the overall conclusion is, when we look at this troll behavior, we see some signs of sophistication. We see the use of local news, which strikes us as kind of clever, this playing both sides. Maybe an attempt to use left-wing media to lure people to right-wing YouTube sites. 
We also see that more right-wing than left-wing content was published, especially on YouTube. And again, the final caveat is that nothing on our studies tells us about whether the left-wing content was pro or anti-Clinton. This is just about the strategy. So thanks very much uh, for your time. Um, and I'm going to, again, these are the papers that uh, led into the talk that we were talking about, big collaborative efforts. I'm going to turn it over to Denise now to talk about Russia. That was Dr. Joshua Tucker of New York University. We know you're listening to him because we're listening to you listening. Tune in next episode to hear more exciting information or speakers. Trust me. Trust me. Trust you don't want to miss Trust me.